sharks come from a different cloth Y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt the show you are rocking with your host Matt Labrie on episode number 168 of the Decoding Success podcast to think we are at 168 episodes every single time I get on a new podcast and I think holy shit that is an amazing number to be at two plus years in the making and with that being said we have an amazing announcement to kick off this episode with if you have not seen it on social media it was released today that we will officially be going live on YouTube it has been an absolutely long time coming as mentioned two plus years with skin in the game here with decoding success but we are ready we are able and we are willing to put our content our visual content out on youtube to be able to add more value and to expand our community of decoding success now with that being said we have past episodes with visual content we have upcoming episodes with visual content and we are so excited to be able to release all of this to you the thing is we are not releasing a video until we have 100 subscribers so if you want to see those videos if you want to be able to add value to your day and to other people's lives head over to the show notes of this episode where you will be able to subscribe to the youtube channel which is officially fresh and live there's nothing on it it's a clean slate and we are so excited to start painting the picture with youtube now On the topic of taking things to the next level, taking your life, taking your business, taking your relationships to the next level, there is a secret, there is a key that has been missing and we are revealing that today. When you hear it in this episode, you're going to be like, damn, I don't do enough of that. And I promise you, that is exactly how I felt when the gentleman that is joining us today and what a gentleman he is, I'm so excited to be able to deliver this episode to you. We are talking about that one secret and no, I am not giving it away in this intro right here. You're going to find out in the episode itself but boy oh boy i gotta say if we did more of this how different things would be whether it be our business whether it be our relationships intimate and personal friendships etc whether it be our podcast our jobs our careers who knows whatever bottom line if you did more of this things would change and we are talking about how to master this skill today so we are super excited to bring you our friend dr wayne baker who is robert p tomey professor of business administration and professor of management and organizations at the university of michigan ross school of business he is also professor of sociology at the university of michigan and faculty associate at the institute for for social research. He currently serves as faculty director of the Center for Positive Organizations. His teaching and research focus on social capital, social networks, generosity, positive organizational scholarship, and values. He has published numerous scholarly articles and four books. His management and leadership articles appear in venues such as Harvard Business Review, Chief Executive Magazine, and Sloan Management Review. He puts his knowledge into practice as a frequent guest speaker, manager, consultant and as an advisor and he is bringing all of that here today to the decoding success podcast episode number 168 and now without further ado we bring to you our friend dr wayne baker 
Wayne, first and foremost, really grateful and really excited to share the platform with you today. And I already know what's going to come about is going to be super valuable for our audience. So I just want to say thank you for joining us today. Well, you're welcome, Matt. And thank you for the opportunity to uh, have this conversation. A hundred percent. So Wayne, as mentioned before we started recording, I told you how we kick off this show. Nothing's going to change here today. I'm curious, how do you personally define success? I think success is two things. One is having a positive vision of your future. And I always advise people to write it down in detail. It's inspiring, strategically sound, but it's that life you want to have, that positive, uh, that positive vision of your future that you can grow into. And a part of that vision should be your contribution to society. So it's not just about how it's good for you, but how you will make, a, you'll make the world a better place. I think those two things... Um, that's what success means for me. I love that. Now, let's break that down a little bit. When you mention having this positive vis- uh, vision of your future, right? Are, are you saying to have, and you know, just clear this up for me here because I'm always curious how individuals like to, uh, and I, I don't want to use the word set goals, but you know, kind of draft up that roadmap as to where they want to be. Now, in your perspective, do you feel like individuals should literally just shoot for the stars or should they have a sense of reality embedded within that as well? Well, you have to balance uh, being inspirational, having an inspiring vision with um, strategically realistic. So it has to be strategically sound. So that is the balance to it. So, you know, if your vision is to, uh, you know, colonize the planets next year, that's not going to happen. It could be very inspiring, um, you know, but it's just a fantasy. You've got to balance that with, uh, with a sense that, it can, that is strategically sound. But I found this as being an amazing tool, and I've learned it from other people. In fact, um, just this, in the next couple of days, I'm going to have all of my MBA students start the process of writing their own uh, personal professional vision of what success looks like for them. And I'll say, okay, pick a date, say three to five years in the future. Now, describe as if we went forward in a time machine to that date, describe all the evidence around you of this great life that, that you now have. You want to talk about, you know, career, where you're living, family, friends, and as much detail as possible. And again, with that balance of being uh, strategically sound. And I'll tell you, people, when they have that, they know where they're headed and it really helps them make informed decisions and inspires them. And they get to you know, start thinking about what are the steps? If that's the life I want to have five years from now, well, what do I need to do now to move in that direction? Right. That's huge. Now, Wayne, let me ask you this. What's your suggestion on getting clear with what individuals actually want, right? Because oftentimes we can be a little, uh, and I don't possess might not be the best word here, but that came to mind right away, especially when it comes to what society deems successful and things of that nature. We can get caught up and think we want something and then we don't necessarily know that we don't want it until we get it. You know what I'm saying? So what's your opinion and I guess finding ourselves to understand what it is that we truly want? I think it's important to be inwardly driven, like what's really important to you, to your core self. I see with a lot of our students at the Ross School of Business here that oftentimes they succumb to peer pressure. So people graduate from our program. It's an excellent program. They get great offers, you know, to go to Wall Street or one of the big management consulting firms. And if that's what they really want, truly and authentically want, then I applaud them and I do everything I can to help them get that kind of position. But I've run into students every now and then who succumb to peer pressure to say they, they ought to do that 
and they would do it and they're absolutely miserable, you know, where they really, what they really wanted to do was work for a nonprofit. They wanted to do, you know, teach for America or something else. So I think it's important to really get in touch with your core values, uh, to not succumb to what others around you are telling you to do, what your parents are telling you to do, your friends, but what really motivates you at your core? Right. What are the, what do you feel like are the steps to doing so? You know, when it comes down to that internal work, you know, we could look at a list of values on the internet or, um, you know, someone could hand it out to us at a workshop and we could just circle all the ones that we like. But um, at the end of the day, it kind of just comes down to, is there any context or substance behind that? Right. Um, so is there anything that you do per se, whether that's like meditating or um, maybe having a coach or something of that nature? Well, I do meditate uh, every morning and I find that to be very helpful for being centered for the day. And I would advise that for anyone. I came to it kind of late and I would advise anyone to start. Start as early as you can because the benefits both emotionally and physically are really quite tremendous. Um, but I think in terms of you know figuring out what's really important to you, there's a couple things you could do. One is to write that detailed vision of what success looks like for you. And then uh, get feedback, share it with other people. And you'll find that people say, okay, well, let's, are you sure this is strategically sound? And what about this? What about that? Or that's inspiring. People often find that when they share their vision of success with someone that others go, oh, I didn't know that's what you really wanted. Um, I can help you with that. Or I know someone you ought to talk to. I always think it's a good idea to get a business coach, someone who's a professional, helping you work through that. Um, and there's some activities that people can do. I just I did this recently with my MBA students. Uh, it's a card sort activity where you get uh, 50 plus cards that have all the different like values and principles that you would have on them, like how important is making a lot of money, how important is work-life balance. And you have to sort all these cards into different columns. And the first column is what's most important to you. And you can't have more than eight. And people struggle to figure that out because they kind of want to have everything. But you take enough time and you, you know, when you come up with that, eight, you say, okay, well, those are the things that really motivate me. That's what really speaks to me. Now I'm going to evaluate the job I have right now. Does it enable me to meet those top priorities or not? Uh, if I'm interviewing for a new one, does that new job help me meet those priorities or not? It can be very helpful to do that in advance uh, so you know whether you're in the right job or not and um, you know, that you can pick your next one. Right. That's powerful. I love that. Now, you mentioned the word contribution earlier when we kicked off this episode. I'm really curious to get your opinion. I was, I've been working with this client of mine. She's absolutely phenomenal. And you want to know, she's actually in your area, which is really funny. And she mentioned that three ways to achieve happiness or the, the legit you know, bottom line, and this is proven by research and statistics, all that good stuff, to achieve happiness in your life, you need three things, autonomy, belonging, and contribution. Do you find that to be true? Oh, I absolutely. You know, I think that um, you need autonomy, um, but you also have to recognize, you have to balance that, recognize that you're interdependent with other people. Uh, belonging, being a part of a group, being accepted is a primary motivation for all humans. Um, actually, for all primates, it's not just for, for humans. And contribution, it's that can't be all about yourself. I think it's important that you do take care of yourself and your friends and your family and do what's right for them and for you. But you want to think about how can you make a contribution to society? And it could be in a small way, it could be in a large way, but we found that people who do that are happier over time. So I think that's really important. Those are really three good things to keep in mind. 
Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I, I've found that to be true myself. You know, after I heard that a few times from her, she's a coach and I'm helping her with some branding material. And, you know, she mentioned that to me and I'm like, wow, you know, after a few times of her saying that it really started to hit home. And then, you know, you mentioned the word contribution and instantly that was the first thing I thought of, you know, the ABCs of how to be happy. It comes down to those three things. So I definitely appreciate your perspective on that. But transitioning here, I want to learn about your journey, you know, before the PhD, before becoming a professor, before all of this, I know you grew up in Connecticut, as you just mentioned before we started recording this, who was Wayne in high school? Like, what was his definition of success back then? Oh, that's really interesting. I think the Wayne back then was different than the Wayne now. I think maybe that's a good thing. I was, um, you know, I was studios, studious, although I can't say that I worked really hard. Um, you know, things kind came kind of easy. I was, uh, I played music. I loved being in the marching band. I was on the wrestling team and I played baseball. I loved doing the sports and I like doing lots of different things. That has been true throughout my life is that if I had to pick a, you know, a, 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 a sports metaphor, I'd like to be a, you know, a triathlete, someone who does, you know, three different events rather than someone who specializes in, in one event. So I like doing different things. So that is, that is true uh, for me when I was in high school and it's true for me now. That's awesome. So you mentioned baseball. Listen, I'm, I'm huge on baseball. I mean, I played baseball up until I had a rather devastating injury, which kind of derailed my professional dreams. What position did you play? I played second base, which is not the most coveted position, but for some reason it clicked for me. And I, that was, that was my spot. I love that. You want to know what that was my position until I became too tall to play it. I'm six foot four. So after a certain point, they were just like, Matt, like, I'm sorry, you, you need to transition over to first base or the outfield. Or I played a little bit of the hot corner as well, but um, I, I got a little bit too tall for the position. So they moved me, but I have a, you know, one memory that I'll never forget about playing second base. I was, it was Father's Day and it was a really rainy day. On, and this is years back now. I, I think I was still in Little League at this point you know, the, the beginning of Little League nonetheless. And I'll never forget this. On Father's Day, my father couldn't come. To, this is the one game my father never came to. He was sick as a dog, couldn't come, and I turned the triple play. So <laughs> that's my favorite story about playing second base. But uh, oh, wow. I, I love that we have that in common. So let me ask you, how did you come about to the idea or the concept of you wanting to become a professor? I know you mentioned you were studious and things were coming easy to you at that point in your life in high school, but what said to you or what compelled you at that point or any point per se to say, okay, I want to go into, you know, academia? It wasn't something that I planned on from the beginning. And I have to say, when I was in college, I didn't even know what a PhD was. Uh, I don't come from a, a, a college-oriented college family. My parents never went to college. There was no real discussion about it. I had an older brother who went to college. He, he and I were first generation in our family to go to college. And I think I did it because he did it. And I was kind of following in my, my big brother's footsteps. And I kind of went on a... I guess I, a course that was kind of an awakening over time. Now, my first major, my major in college was finance of all things. And I really, really liked finance. I found it really interesting, really helpful. But then when I was graduating and I was interviewing for jobs in banks and so forth, I said, boy, I don't really want to do this as a job. I like to study it. I find it fascinating, but you know, I don't want to work at a big bank. And literally I thought, okay, so what is... 180 degrees from finance. And I said, well, that must be sociology. 
right? You think, okay, sociology. So I did, I signed up and got into a master's program in sociology, fell in love with it. It was like a whole new way of viewing the world and understanding the world around me. Uh, Applied to a PhD program, got into that. And I always like to say that I got confused because usually what happens, people get an undergraduate degree in sociology. They can't get a job. So then they go and get a business degree. And I did it the other way around. I had a business degree and went and got a a PhD in sociology. But it turned out to be a really helpful combination. Uh, The first research I ever did was a social network analysis of the stock market. So it was a way of taking sociology and combining it with finance and economics. Wow, that's powerful. So you were able to kind of, uh, you know, find a way to, you know, meet the two in the middle, which is, uh, you know, rare in in some ways when people are trying to at least, you know, mesh their passion with, uh, you know, a way to make money and things of that nature. It seems like you've been able to combine the two, which is really interesting, which, you know, I, I love that you've been able to do that. That's phenomenal. So now, Wayne, you're obviously you have a lot you know, uh, a lot of experience. And I, you know, I, I saw the resume on the website. It looks phenomenal. One thing that you've added to the resume recently is the new book. All you have to do is ask how to master the, the most important skill for success. So my first question straight off the bat about this book is elaborate on this title for us. What does this really mean? What, what, what's embedded within this? Well, we talked earlier about the ABCs, autonomy, belonging, and contribution. What I found over time, to be successful, you need to add one more thing. Unfortunately, it's not a D, because um, it was very <laughs> nice with A, B, C, D. Uh, but it's the importance of asking for what you need. And the reason that's important is that unless you ask, you don't get uh, the inflow of resources you need to be successful. It could be uh, advice, information, um, an idea, an opportunity, a connection, a referral, data, money, material resources, or whatever it might be, you know, is that we want to be autonomous, but we work independently with other people and we depend on others for the resources we need as they depend on us. And so it's important to balance the contribution, the generosity part of it with the other side, which is asking for what you need. And I've just seen that over time that that really is a key for success. So I write about in the book four different types. Uh, The most common type is the overly generous giver. That's someone who freely gives, who's extremely generous, but they get burned out over time because they don't balance that with asking for what they need. And in a way, they're denying everyone who would like to help them, um, but they don't know how to help unless that person asks. So the opposite of the overly generous giver is the selfish taker. Uh, fortunately, there's not a lot of these, but there are some. Those are people who you know, just ask, just take, and they never give back. And over time, their success um, you know, declines because people just stop helping them. Another type I call the lone wolf, and that's probably the most tragic type uh, because they're disconnected. And they don't ask and they don't give. And the best place to be, and this would be true for an individual, it's true for a team, and it's true for an entire organization. That's what our research shows over time is what I call the giver requester. That's the person who's generous, who freely helps other people, doesn't keep track of who helps them. It's not about an exchange or tit for tat. And they make requests for what they need. They actually will, you know, express what they need when they need it. And that's really the key to success to be both a giver and a requester. I love this. So let's dive into this a little bit more. You know, you were mentioning 
asking for the resources we need, whether that be a connection or something along those lines, right? But what's your take on having the resources versus actually being resourceful, right? Because there's a big difference between the two. It's one thing to be handed a million dollars, but at the same time, it's another thing to know what to do with that million dollars. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Uh, So one of the things that I teach in my classes and I write about in the book is the importance of being thoughtful and intentional, figuring out first, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? What's the goal, for example? And I have three different methods in the book for doing that. And the third one we've already talked about, which is this idea of a positive future, positive visioning. Uh, There are other methods that don't take as much time. The idea of figuring out what is it that you're trying to achieve and say, okay, I've got that in mind. Now let me back up from there and say, okay, well, what do I need in order to achieve that? Maybe I've got a lot of what I need, but you know, I need more information on this, or I could use advice, or I need a partner, or I need uh, someone to collaborate with on this. And then you start figuring, okay, well, that's, that's becoming a more thoughtful request. Okay, I need something, but it's tied to a why. It's tied to what I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, and then from there, once you figure out the goal and then the request you need to get the resource to move you in the direction or make progress towards that goal, you need to come up with what I call a smart request. Now, this is different than smart goals, um, but and particularly a couple of the letters are really quite different. So I would say that anything that you ever ask, and it could be you know, a formal request, it could be of a roommate, it could be of a spouse or significant other. I find I have an 18-year-old son. I find that it, that it works with him as well. Um, but every time you make a request, if you address these five criteria, it will be a much more effective request and people will understand and be motivated to help. So I can go through those quickly. The S is for specific. You wanna ask for something very specific. And the reason is, is that a specific request triggers people's memories of what they know and who they know, the two ways they can help. So Matt, you might make a very specific request and I can say, you know, I get it, I can't help you, but I know someone who can and I can connect you. So that's another way that I could help. The M is, and this is different than the, um, the M in, in smart goals, which is uh, measurable. Measurability is nice, uh, but here I'm talking about meaningful. Why is the request important? Why is it meaningful? It's really critical to explain the why of the request. The A is for action. You ask for something to be done. The R is for strategically realistic. We talked before about, uh, you know, like a vision has to be inspiring and strategically sound. The strategically realistic part of a smart request is that it's got to be sound there as well. You have to at least have a reasonable shot of getting it. And then the T is for time bound. You know, you need to state by when you need uh, a particular request to be fulfilled. And if you make a request with those five in mind, um, you know, people will be more likely to respond and to want to uh, respond. Uh, In fact, I I, I found with my son as he was growing up, if I was sure to tell him the M, the meaningful why I was asking him to do something, he was more likely to do it willingly. And uh, I don't use the method my father used with me, which is you'll do it because I told you so. And, <laughs> you know, and that, that, gets, that gets compliance. You know, I'm kind of being forced to do it. The other, you get engagement, is that people do it because they want to do it. Right. That's powerful. That is so powerful. All right. So let's just backtrack just a little bit. You were mentioning the four types of people, whether they were overly generous givers, the selfish takers, the lone wolf, and the giver requester. Now, how do you 
or, or what would you say to suggest getting in a state of receivership to actually be open to the things that are offered? Because, and I'm going to ask this very selfishly, I find myself being the overly generous giver to the point where people are saying, you know, they're, they're random. We throw networking events here in New York City, so I get a million and one requests, um, you know, whether they're DMing me on social media, you know, private messaging me, or uh, maybe even just text messaging or emailing me you know, kind of just asking for things. And I love to be able to connect people. I absolutely love that. It almost drives me in a way. I don't know if it's because it boosts the ego a little bit, knowing that I've been able to help someone, whatever the case is, I find myself in that stage a little bit more often than I'd like. And I also feel like that's because I'm not necessarily always in that state of receivership to kind of jump down to that fourth one, which you mentioned, the giver requester. So I'm curious, what's your opinion on getting into a state of receivership? Well, what you described is just very common. It's the way that most people feel, the position that most people are in. You know, it does feel good to help. Um, it, it creates kind of a warm glow. It creates positive emotions in us when we help. But receiving uh, creates another kind of positive emotions, which is gratitude. Now, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to ask because I don't want to feel obligated. And I would coach them and say, maybe you need to reframe that and think about it in a different way to be grateful for the help that you received. And then out of that gratitude to pay it forward and help someone else. It's, it's, a kind of, uh, it's a kind of reciprocity, but a more general form of reciprocity. So like I help you, you help me, which is great. We'd want that to happen. But you, know, you help me, I feel grateful for the help that you gave me, which motivates me to help a third person who helps a fourth person and eventually all comes back to you and me again. You know, it's that form that you actually want to think about. So it's the warm glow of giving. It's gratitude for help received. So I think it's useful to kind of reframe it in that particular way. And the other is just to uh, recognize that you can only go so far. You can only be so successful. You can get the good, but you can't get the great unless you ask for what you need. And if right. you've been generous in helping other people, they will be there for you when you ask. A hundred percent. I love that, Wayne. I'm very appreciative of that. Now, how would you suggest someone properly asks? And what I mean by this, I mean, you broke down smart. So that's not necessarily what I mean here. Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk. He's, you know, all over the place, big entrepreneur here in New York City and even beyond. But um, he has this theory of jab, 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 right hook, meaning give, 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 and then ask. Um, and I know you said not to kind of keep a tally of when you're giving and when you're asking and looking for favors in that sense. But at the end of the day, if I were to meet you today and we didn't know each other at all and I came up to you and I said, hey, Mr. Baker, uh, or hey, Dr. Baker, at the end of the day, I, I know you're connected to this person. Can you do this for me? That's a bit extreme in my opinion. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I might just do it. You know, I'd probably want to know a bit more about you and what you had in mind. And I'd have to think about whether it would be beneficial for the other person as well to introduce you. Um, but I like, the, I like the mantra that you just described. It's actually similar to one uh, that I use, uh, which is join give, ask. So people sometimes ask, what can I do? I say, well, join something, join some group, join a network, join something that you care about. Now at work, maybe it's uh, an interest group or an employee resource group or an affinity group. Uh, could be a, a meetup group um, that you know meets regularly about a topic that you're interested in. It doesn't matter what. As long as it's something you truly are interested in, join. And then listen and look for opportunities to help people. Remember, there's two ways you can help. You've got the answer, you've got the resource, you can share it, or you can tap your network. 
And then when you need to ask, you will have, have you would have a supportive network there already. So it's a little bit of a variation of the one that you just described, which I love, but that idea of, of join, give, and ask. And I think that right. if you you know, sometimes one of the barriers is that people say, look, I just don't want to appear to be selfish. And I write about this in the book. I say, well, you know, if you feel that way, then make sure that you're generous and that you're giving. And then you could balance that by making requests uh, when you need something. And the research is really clear, whether it's for uh, an individual, for a team or whole organization, you want this culture of asking, giving, and receiving help and resources. Right. That's powerful. Now, I absolutely love that. So let me ask you something about these smart requests. Um, Obviously, you mentioned S being specific, right? So what does specific mean in the sense, and let me break this down a little bit further. Does specific mean that I need to ask someone directly? And and the reason I'm asking this is because we're in a very digital age, or does that mean that I also have the ability to ask something specific uh, on social media, right? On LinkedIn saying, hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. Can anyone in my network help? You know, is it specific to the person or is it specific to the topic? I think it's, it's specific to the topic, to the content of the request that you want to make. So I, I could give you the, the opposite, the most non-specific, the most general request I ever heard was made by a, a, a business executive who from the Netherlands, and he was participating in one of our activities. And he said, my request is for information. That was it. Wow. And so I said, well, uh, could you elaborate? And he goes, no, it's confidential. I can't explain. Well, no one could help him. I mean, wh- what did he mean by that? You know, but if you're really specific, that means you're being really clear on what it is that you're asking for. You know, I'm sure you've all, you know, everyone has seen or read instances where people are, it's clear that people are asking for something, but you're not really clear what they're asking for because they're not, they're kind of beating around the bush. Um, I mean, you would want to be polite in what you're requesting, but being specific is being really clear about what it is that you're asking. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I'd like to be introduced to this person and here's why. That's the meaningful part. Uh, so I'm looking for an introduction. That's the action part. And, you know, and I need it in two weeks for this reason. And all of those elements will motivate people. They'll know why you're trying to do it as well as, um, you know, they understand what you're actually asking to be done. Right. That's powerful. That's really, really powerful. I'm excited for this book. So what actually, you know, on the topic of the book, what made you want to write this at your, at this point in your journey now? Well, I have to say the the core idea of the book, I could trace back almost exactly 20 years um, when Cheryl Baker and I created an activity called the reciprocity ring. So this is a structured activity. It's been done now about 200,000 people around the world, 12 different languages, 20 different countries. It's kind of a human universal that it taps into. Uh, There's a very structured way of doing it, but essentially it's a process in which people make requests uh, for something that they need. It could be personal, it could be professional. They have to apply the SMART criteria, but they spend most of their time helping other people. So they're giving a lot, but they also get in this process. And when I started using this reciprocity ring 20 years ago, I would start off with a, you know, my introduction, which would be the importance of generosity, why you need to give. Now, giving is a virtue, and I think we need to be generous. It's important to be generous. But what I found, Matt, was absolutely astounding is that that was never the problem. Almost everyone was willing to help, even complete strangers. 
but most people struggled with what they needed with the request. But without the request, no one can give. If everyone wants to give, but no one asks for anything, nothing happens. And right. that's, that's the state that, that most of us are in. So I switched and I said, you know, what we need to do is focus on helping people get over the reluctance to ask them for what they need, give them criteria for figuring out a well-formulated request, tying it to a goal, give them some advice on how to actually do it, and create activities like the reciprocity ring that make it easier to make that request. And so that, that's just one. And there's probably over two dozen different specific tools, practices, and activities that I write about in the book. And they're all based on that principle of, of both helping, asking, and receiving. But when you use these tools, particularly in a group setting, it normalizes it. It makes it routine. It makes it expected. In fact, not requesting in one of these activities is letting the group down. Right. Right. That's very interesting. So I, I think I already know the answer to my next question, but I hate to assume. So I'm going to ask it anyway. If someone that reads this book could only take away one thing from it, what do you want that one thing to be and why? It would be to give yourself permission to ask. Right. To realize that you need resources, you need input from other people to be successful and to simply recognize that as a fact, to know that that fact is based up by scientific research that says that you'll be more productive, more creative, more efficient. Oh yeah, and by the way, make more money too if you are both generous and you request what you need when you need it. But it starts with giving yourself permission to ask. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. I love that, Wayne. That's awesome. So you mentioned to me earlier, before we even started recording this, you've been doing a whole bunch of media. You were here in New York City doing press, things of that nature. What is a question you wished more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Oh, that's a good one. Um, It'd be related to this book. So I'm uh, considerably older than you, Matt, and I'm kind of in the last stage of my career. I've been a a teacher, a professor for for many, many years now. And I want to make a lasting contribution. And I think this book has that potential. So I wrote it to help people. It's It's a toolkit. It's how to do all of this. It's not just to motivate people. It says, okay, here's all the ways you can do it. Pick some. Pick some of these and experiment with them. And so... um. What I wish people would ask more is, you know, how would you like to get the message out? You know, how can we get the message out? Uh, would you like to do a webinar? Would you like to come and talk to my company? And again, it's because I've seen the positive difference that this approach makes in people's lives. Um, I've seen miracles happen as a result of this. And if I can make a small contribution to that process, that's something I want to do. Right. That's amazing. And you want to know what? I want to help you get the word out about this book, not only on my show, but we're going to talk after about how I could help you do that. So I'm really excited to, you know, find more ways to, you know, help you out here. So I definitely appreciate that. So as mentioned earlier, before jumping into this episode, I told you that there's three questions we ask everyone before wrapping this show up. The first one being, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Who gave it to you and why? So the best piece of advice I ever got was from my father when I was probably a freshman in high school and I was taking a French class. And I have to say, I have no facility for languages and I really hated this French class. And I, <laughs> everyone was terrorized by this teacher as well. And I was, I was doing well in all my other classes except this one. And I didn't know what to do. And I asked my father, you know, what should I do? And he said, why don't you go and ask him for help? And I 
I said, no, I can't do that. He said, why not? And so he actually motivated me. And I actually went and I met with this French teacher, uh, just one-on-one, explained that I, you know, I was struggling, asked for some help. He turned out to be the sweetest, nicest guy. He was really helpful. It's like his guard went down. And probably was one of the first times I realized that, you know, if you ask, almost everyone will respond in a positive way. And right. so maybe that's the core of the idea of the book. I could trace it back many, many years now, you know, to learning that asking is really important. And I'm glad to say my 18-year-old son, um, he doesn't have a problem raising his hand in class saying, I don't know this, I have a question about this, or I need something. Um, you know, and I think maybe he's, he's I've passed it down uh, from generation to generation. It's very interesting how this all ties together now, right? I mean, when you give that example, you know, uh, something sparked in my mind because I guess I was always in that position and I never asked for help until college, you know, and I think something that kind of holds us back from asking for help or asking for a connection or a resource or something of that nature is the fact that we don't either A, want to look bad or um, look any less in someone's eyes. We might feel, you know, a bit ashamed or embarrassed or something of that nature, you know, and uh, it's really interesting when you frame it in that sense, that pops in my mind as opposed to how we were just discussing it, you know, from more of a business sense. And I didn't think about that at all, you know, so uh, very, very interesting. And I definitely appreciate the transparency and I, I absolutely love to see how it comes full circle. You know, this is what we've been talking about all episode and to see it come full circle right there is super powerful. So um, let's talk about the reverse of that question. As mentioned earlier, you know, I, I like to ask the reverse engineer, uh, reverse engineered version of that question, which is what is a piece of advice that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time? So this is something that I learned much, much later. And that was the importance of identifying your strengths and putting yourself into a position to play to your strengths more often. And that investing in your strengths is the key to greatness, not necessarily shoring up your weaknesses. And that is something I learned maybe only in like the past 10 years um, from positive psychology, from research my colleagues do here at the University of Michigan, and that that is one of the ways to be successful. Uh, You need to ask for what you need, but also recognize, you know, what are your real strengths? What do you, where do you really have impact on other people? And to put yourself in a position to play to those strengths. And we all, we find that maybe 20% of people actually do that. And it's one of the reasons people are disengaged and unhappy at work, because if you're not playing to your strength, work is suffering and you're not doing a good job. Right, right. That's so that's interesting. Let's break that down. You're saying that you should invest in your strengths as opposed to investing in the areas where you're weak at. Does that mean you should be delegating those areas, hiring and supplementing through other people's skills that are, you know, better at those types of things? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that what you just described, Matt, is one of the uh, is, is the kind of advice that we would give is that, you know, sometimes you need to, um, you know, find someone else who's good at that particular part of it. Or, you know, lots of I know lots of partnerships in business where um, the, the founders are like night and day They're, They have they have complementary strengths and weaknesses. That's one way of doing it. Um, you know, when I'm working on a research problem and I've got some you know, really difficult statistical analysis to do. Um, I'll ask one of the statisticians that I know, hey, you want to join me on this project and be a co-author with me? Um, if you would help work out this analysis, you know, I'll do everything else. 
And that's, you know, that's playing to my strength, playing to the other person's strength. And so that's, you know, working around that or finding a complementary set of strengths is a, is a really good strategy. Right. That's powerful. I love that. So last question for you here, Wayne, if you could only give one universal piece of advice for the remaining days here on earth, what would that advice be? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. I think I'd have to come back to the, that three word mantra I mentioned before that join, give, ask, you know, to, you know, and it gets back to the, the ABCs that we talked about before, the, the need for belonging. Well, join something that you care about. Join a cause that, you know, that really speaks to you. That's one of your passions. Uh, find ways that you could give to that group, to others in that group, to the cause, and ask for what you need along the way. So I think the join, give, ask uh, would be if you followed that mantra I think it'd keep you in a, in a good place. I love it. I love it. And I've absolutely loved this episode. Now, Wayne, are you on social media at all? Where do you hang out the most? If so, I'm going to make sure that, you know, in the show notes of this episode, we're going to have links to the book, links to your website, but our community of listeners loves to connect with everyone we bring on. So I'm curious if you're on social, where are you hanging out the most? Well, I don't know about the most, but I'm on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me there. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Dr. Wayne Baker. Um, that would be another way. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, we have a Facebook page for the book. And then finally, there's the website for the book itself. And the reason I mention it is that we have a lot of free resources there. In the book, I have an assessment. I, it's a giving asking assessment, but you could take a free online version. You don't have to leave your email or anything. There's no barriers to entry. And if you do it online, you get a free report that compares your results against a population of people who have taken the assessment. Um, there's a pretty cool infographic that we designed uh, that kind of follows the process in the book. All you have to do is ask. Um, again, that's free. That's down, downloadable. Um, so those would be the ways, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and the, the book website. And the book website is all you have to do is ask.com. I love it. I'm going to make sure that all of the links to the websites, the socials, all that good stuff can be found in the show notes. And Wayne, I have to say thank you again. I'm really grateful for this opportunity and for all the value you brought to the show. I promise you, if if you could see me right now, I have a ton of notes on a, on a piece of paper here. So I'm really excited for this and excited to amplify the book and uh, this episode. So thank you again for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Matt. I really enjoyed our conversation. And there you have it, episode 168 with our friend, Dr. Wayne Baker. Now, all of Wayne's contact information, his social handles, his website, where you can grab his book is all in the show notes of this episode. But I got to pose the question on you. How often are you actually asking for what you want, for what you need help with? When I had this conversation with Wayne, I was literally saying to myself, holy shit, I'm not asking enough. In fact, I would rather ask people how I can help them as opposed to asking them for help. And it is a two-way street in that regard. There is definitely some ego and some other things involved in that. But I just want to pose the question on you as we exit this interview today because it could be life-changing, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your friendships, wherever, maybe it's with yourself, your relationship with yourself, right? It is really powerful. That is the key right there to learn how to ask. Very, very powerful stuff. 
Wayne, shout out to you. I really appreciate you hopping on here and providing your expertise. Again, you can connect with Dr. Wayne through the show notes of this episode. Another heads up that we are officially live on YouTube. We are going to be releasing our first episode the minute we hit 100 subscribers. So head over to our channel on YouTube and drop us a quick little subscribe. It costs absolutely nothing to do so, and you could do it very easily. All of my social links and handles and websites are in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, be blessed. Peace.